Amen. Hey, go ahead and turn your workbooks. If world religions, cults, and the occult, we are on number nine, and that is the exciting topic of Jehovah's Witnesses. That's right. Who's going to witness to them? We are. That's right. We're getting equipped. That's right. Now, uh, by way of recap, if you can turn to your page there, and uh, we saw a review that uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, it's not my word, it's their teaching is classified as a cult. One of the five areas they always get off, any cult, certainly Jehovah's Witnesses, we saw source of authority, nature of God, including the Trinity, the personal work of Jesus Christ, the nature man, and how in the world do you get to heaven? Right? You don't want to get that wrong, and unfortunately, they do. So that classifies them as a cult, a pseudo-Christian cult. Right? They claim to be Christian, like the Mormons, but they are not. And then we saw, I like this, again, a recap, before we got into our information, our heart. We need to check our heart. Why are we going through this study? To win that daily double of Jeopardy, Bobby. I've said that how many times now over the years? No, that's not what it is. Right? Just show them how intellectually superior we are. No, it's to witness to them, to love them, to Jesus Christ with the truth, because God's truth sets them free. We need to check our heart. Why are we doing this? And when we share, is our heart in the right place? But do share, okay? How many guys realize that slamming the door at somebody and just pointing fingers at them doesn't help, right? We got to speak up uh, in love, okay? Then we took a look at the history of Jehovah's Witnesses. Again, the journey of where in the world did all this come from? And we saw that that started with a guy named Charles Taze, what? Russell, and in the beginning they were called Russellites, but that got changed, and we'll see why again, Lord willing, uh, tonight. But we are in uh, the next guy, and we're going to take a look at this guy, and his name is Judge Rutherford. Turn to somebody and say, here comes the judge. Okay, here comes the judge. Remember that? Right? But again, is he even really a judge? No, I don't think so, but that's another one of their long trail of deceits. That are being perpetrated on people today. But let's take a look at history of Jehovah's Witnesses. Let's get down there into that uh, uh, first section there where it says uh, the deity of Christ, the Holy Spirit, after the first blank we filled in, second blank, Trinity. It says here when Russell was 18, he organized a Bible class in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Remember that? Prophet John spoke twice last week. That was amazing, pal. He can do it again. He's always ready to go. That's right. And uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, focusing on the second coming of Christ and biblical chronology. Now, that's horrible. No, nothing's wrong with talking about prophecy, the second coming of Jesus. What's the Bible say? Hey, you can even get a crown just for what? Longing for his appearing. Come on, we got all should at least get that one, right? That's a good thing to do, right? What's the problem? Date setters. Too bad that's not going on today. <laughs> yeah, it's going on all over the place. Are you kidding me? We talked about that last time. Yeah, they're setting dates, trying to do this, false teaching, not only that, he got into all kinds of aberrant stuff, not just with that. So you take a good thing, and that's what the enemy does, right? Takes God's truth, something that's good, he twists it, contorts it, and perverts it. That's what false teaching does, right? And uh, let's continue on. So that's what he started out doing, right? He published his views in several books and began lecturing in 1878. 1879, Russell published the Herald of the Morning magazine, 1884, he renamed it the Watchtower, announcing Jehovah's Kingdom, and founded the Zion's Watchtower Tract Society. Now, the first tower in the Watchtower magazine was only 6,000 copies each month. Wait till you hear how big it is today. We'll probably get that far in our study. This just blew me away, man. All right, so, so from 1886 until his death in 1916, he wrote a series of books called The Studies in the Scriptures. Now, that's the modern name. It started out as the Millennial Dawn Series. Remember that? Okay, then they changed it to Studies in the Scriptures. And he claimed that, listen, the Bible could only be understood according to what? Underline that. Here's a sign you're following the cult leader. His interpretations, right? Especially when it came to the Pyramid of Giza, as we saw last time, he said it was the Bible written in stone. In fact, you need to look at the measurements of the Pyramid of Giza in order to understand the Bible. 
Okay, but that's really what uh, he saw. We saw last time. Now, the contents of the studies and scriptures form the basis of Jehovah's Witnesses theology, as well as the successor. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Next paragraph. After the death of Russell in 1916, a lawyer named Joseph Franklin Rutherford he took over the presidency of Jehovah's Witnesses. There, the Watchtower Society, which was known then as the International Bible Students Association, also the Russellites, after guess who? Russell, you guys are on the ball. Uh, in 1931, he changed the name of the organization to Jehovah's Witnesses. That is the first part, okay, of a long series that we're going to see tonight of this guy basically doing what we use in the corporate world, a hostile takeover, okay? And that's really what he did. This guy went in here and man took this baby over now it was already messed up already full of false teachings we saw last week but this guy took it to a whole nother unfortunate level and that's what we're going to see tonight so let's take a look and we're going to examine this guy uh joseph franklin rutherford also known as judge rutherford probably the most popular i mean he's the second president of the watchtower bible and tract society okay as we've been saying and uh, he was, uh, you're saying, well, well, he's a judge, so he, he was, uh, uh, it was perfectly legal. He probably sat on a bench, and he was so incredible that they had to use him in their, in their society to judge between right and wrong and develop their belief. Now, here's his legal background, okay? This is, again, the first sign that this is the character with whom you're dealing with here, okay? And he's the second president. We already saw the last time, the guy, remember, he floats around like a jellyfish, right, and does all that stuff, and then he believed all this erratic stuff and the pyramid of giza and the false dates and that was bad enough this guy's got some serious character issues as well uh he was sometimes an official court stenographer well that makes you a judge what's a stenographer right it's this little person that sits there in a the little machine that's all you do okay whatever he was familiar with legal forms and procedures he was admitted to the boonville bar this is in missouri i believe in uh, 1892 although not registered at any law school accredited in missouri uh, now, in that state, they had a, a, a deal, and this is where he's stretching it just a little bit, which is the fancy word, uh, way of saying he lied, right? And to this day, the Jehovah's Witnesses are lying, all right? But uh, there was, in the state, a presiding judge, uh, when they were absent, the bar would pick somebody to fill as a substitute judge, okay? And that was common practice. Didn't make you a judge, just somebody had to fill in for the guy. Now, this occurred four times in Mr. so-called Judge Rutherford's uh, occasion there and uh, presided only, only over minor trials, and, uh, and this is the whole basis of him being a judge, okay, by and large. In fact, uh, he uh, never, ever, ever served as a circuit judge in Cooper County. This is in Missouri. And he actually had run for the office of circuit judge of Cooper County in 1900 and was easily defeated okay, in the primary, and he also ran for the state representative, uh, but he had also been easily defeated in that as well. Why? Because Cooper County, the folks in Missouri, the place where he lived with, they knew what kind of a guy this guy was, okay? Uh, he should have been, as one guy said, called Shady Rutherford, okay? And it's a family history. Remember we saw with the Mormons, right? You go back and peel back the history. Joseph Smith was not only involved in witchcraft. What was going on with his family? His whole family was into it. And then even you look at the court reports, was even, he went to jail, for practicing witchcraft, right? Was prosecuted or was prosecuted for it, right? Arrested for it and things of that nature, snookering people. His whole family was in. We're gonna see the same thing with this guy. This guy's with a, a family of, of, frankly, liars, cheaters, okay? Let's continue on. Special judge, okay, what he was doing, uh, again, uh, it was, that's what it was. You got to be a special judge for the day, okay? He got to do it four times, okay? You just basically fill in, 
right? Special judge of the day. And uh, practically every attorney in rural Missouri got to be a special judge for a few days during their career. It's just a common, somebody's got to fill in. Like we got interns, interns fill in for me at the pulpit, right? Does that make you a pastor? No, there's a process you go through that, but it's just, it's just a fill-in. That's all I did. Okay, now, quote, none of them would have ever dreamed or dared to assume the title judge for having done so. Otherwise, they would have been the laughing stock of their community. But this is the basis of this guy being a judge. Okay, now, I like what one guy said. They said, if the Watchtower Society has been willing to lie for decades about those items on Rutherford's resume, about him being a judge, then how could we wonder what else about other lies that you've been also propagating over the years. I thought that's a very good point. Okay. In fact, there's some indicators, I, I don't have time to go into it that deep, that Judge Rutherford didn't even attend a law school, so that's up for debate as well. Okay. Now, again, let's take a look at his so-called court record. Well, he was in the court record, all right, and he was, did that stenographer thing, right? and he was aware of some of the legal proceedings and things of that nature. He got to be a fill-in once in a while, right? Uh, but a lot of his... Uh, Experience in the court was he was being prosecuted. <laughs> Listen to this. He was cited for contempt of court at least three different occasions, possibly more. His worst one involved a case, okay, uh, where a, a saloon operator in Missouri purchased on credit a cash register from the National Cash Register Company, the NCR Corporation, and uh, he missed one of the payments. So he was contractually obligated to pay the entire balance to NCR. Okay, so NCR forwarded the account to Rutherford for collection, right? Just like a collections agent. Eight days later, uh, a guy named David Nicholson, he was possibly the landlord, filed a lawsuit against the guy who didn't pay up on the cash register for monies that he owed, you know, for like rent. And so he sought an attachment against that guy's only available asset, which was the cash register, right? He wanted to get his money from him. Right? So he asked a local deputy to get the cash register, to levy the cash from it there, only to find the cash register missing. And so he headed straight for Rutherford's office, whereupon Rutherford smugly told him, quote, if you want the cash register, you'll have to go to Sedalia for it because it's on its way there now. Quote, the deputy was not as stupid as Rutherford thought and proceeded to search Rutherford's office and the deputy found the cash register hidden in the back room under a pile of office stuff. So he's a liar. Right? And again, one guy says, instead of being called Judge Rutherford, he should be called Shady Rutherford. Right? All right? And then, also, he was sued for allegedly committing fraud in the sale of a stock in a newly formed corporation in which he had interest. Right? And wait, wait to hear what his brother. And that's it. Again, it was, it's just like Joseph Smith, man, part two. Right? And he, his whole, it was like a family affair, their uh, aberrant behavior. This guy, too. His baby brother, okay, was named James. Okay? Uh, Joseph's uh, uh, baby brother, James. Listen to this. He was convicted of grand larceny. He was sentenced to the minimum of two years uh, in prison. That's just the first one. Then he was convicted of a misdemeanor for acting as an agent of an unlicensed insurance company. Well, hey, that sounds like your bigger bro who was committing fraud with... Uh, anyway. And then he was arrested for uh, uh, charged with insurance fraud. And even the newspapers referred to him as, quote, a swindler and, quote, a smooth one. Then he was indicted in another state. A grand jury charged him with embezzling, which today would have been about $50,000. Oh, and then he was accused of defrauding a local farmer. So that was his little bro, right? So that's what he... Oh, let's go the other direction. How about his big brother? His big brother was a guy named William Rutherford, okay? And he was hired as a police officer by the city of Sacramento. Old stomping grounds. 
That's where I got saved. Now listen to this. He was fired from the Sacramento Police Department in May 1896 after having been indicted and criminally prosecuted three times. Now he only worked there for two and a half years, and he was fired from the Sacramento Police uh, uh, Department. And in two and a half years, and this is just what he was caught for, he committed these three crimes in two and a half years. Manslaughter, police brutality, and perjury. That's a lot of mess-ups in two and a half years. Major manslaughter, right, and brutality, okay? Uh, he also had another run-in law with a public intoxication uh, arrest. As we're going to see, Mr. Rutherford, he liked his booze, too. A lot. Especially during Prohibition. Oops. We'll get to that in a second. Oh, and by the way, apparently it's a family affair because Mr. Rutherford himself also went to prison. Interesting. And wait to hear what he went to prison for. Okay, that's another thing. Maybe they don't come uh, telling you when you come knocking at the door. Uh, Rutherford was arrested and convicted and imprisoned for a short time in 1918-1919 for taking an anti-government position during World War I. Uh, in early May 1918, the U.S. Attorney General Thomas Watt Gregory condemned the Finnish mystery. Now, you remember what the Finnish mystery was? This was at Rutherford. He wrote the studies and the, you know, whatever thing, the Millennial Dawn series. It had six volumes, and he was trying to finish the seventh one. He, didn't, he died. So Rutherford, quote, finishes it up. It becomes the seventh volume, the finished mystery, right, in this so-called Bible study series, right? Well, in that book that Rutherford whooped up, uh, the U.S. Attorney General labeled it, quote, one of the most dangerous examples of propaganda, a work written in extremely religious language and distributed in uh, enormous numbers. And so warrants were issued for his arrest, attempting to cause insubordination, disloyalty, refusal of duty in the armed forces, and obstructing the recruitment and enlistment of the service of the U.S. while it was at war, right? You're going to see later when we get into their false teachings, this is something they still do today, right? That not only you can't celebrate birthdays and, and all that stuff and Father's Day and wait to hear what his version on what his opinion on Mother's Day, woo, uh, and, uh, but also that you shouldn't serve in the military, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. So this started way back uh, in that day with him. But he went to prison for it. He was actually originally sentenced for 20 years uh, for this. Uh, but he feared his opponents would gain control of the society in his absence. What does that tell you right there? Where's his heart? This guy, I'm telling you, we haven't even gotten to the evidence yet. Really, hostile takeover. Now, again, I'm not drawing any sympathy, not one ounce. Don't misunderstand me about Jehovah's Witnesses. Like, oh, if only Mr. Rutherford would not have taken over, it would have stayed pristine. No, it was already messed up, as we saw last time. So don't think I'm trying to draw sympathy. It was already messed up. He just made it even worse than it already was. All right. But anyway, so uh, it also might interest to note that um, Rutherford ordered the Bible students, Jehovah's Witnesses, to rip out pages 247 through 253 in all copies of the, quote, finished mystery. This is what he went to jail for, right? Uh, in his last-ditch attempt to avoid jail time. Now, believe it or not, in their proclaimers books, kind of like their version of their history, right? On page 652, they actually admit that this happened, that pages were removed, right? And again, this is supposed to be a book from God. Why are you ripping the pages out, right? Okay, but it does not explain that this was done so Rutherford could avoid jail time. Now, let me just give you a little teaser, some of the pages that he said, hey, quick, rip these out. And every copy he can find. Quote, this is from him in his book. This is his thing that he finished up for Mr. Russell, right? 
People who display patriotism are delusional murderers acting in the very spirit of the devil. Patriotism is narrow-minded hatred of other people. Second example, and there's a ton of them, I'll give you three. The first expenditure of the United States government in the World War I was $7 billion, which is 27% in excess of the value of all the crops harvested in the U.S. Well, yeah, you've got to spend money if you're going to defend your country. Hello. We need to be growing food instead. Listen to this. This gets even worse. He said, quote, in this finished mystery, the Germans denounce war, with the exception of the present conflict in England. <laughs> so, so it's like, what, are you siding with the Germans? Wait till you get to that, right? The fact that Rutherford did not stand firmly behind these statements in his finished mystery, okay, uh, and then ordered them uh, to be removed in a cowardly attempt to avoid prison, quote, says a lot about his character. Guy's a con artist, okay? Then in March 1919, it was released on bail. In May 20th, the government dropped the charges, but he continued to preach loud and often against the political systems. Now, in fact, he was also wanted and being monitored for years by guess who? The FBI and uh, Mr. Hoover, uh, J. Edward Hoover, right? Uh, in a memorandum, and this continued on, right? So that was in the World War I. They were also keeping an eye on him during World War II, especially with his ties with the... I don't tell you this at the door. Nazis. What? Yeah. New information tonight. Right? Watch this. All right. The director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation strongly suggested that Joseph F. Rutherford, then president of the Watchtower Society, be closely monitored and potentially arrested. J. Edgar Hoover was aware of Rutherford's political positions during the late 30s and in the 1940s. Hoover's memo makes it clear that Judge Rutherford had been monitored for some time by the United States government. Quote, it was likely, you say, well, why? Why would they monitor this guy? Well, not just the past behavior, but listen. It was likely that Rutherford's praise of Adolf Hitler and the leaders of other fascist countries uh, during the late 30s created some red flags for the FBI and the government. No kidding. And you think, come on, this guy did not have praise for Adolf Hitler. Yeah, because guess what this guy was, Mr. Rutherford? He was anti-Jew. And I'm going to read to you his documents proving that and his letter to Hitler. Watch this. Watchtower... Uh, the society today criticizes other religious groups for colluding with Hitler. Well, you might want to take a look at your second president, right? What is not admitted is that Rutherford initially praised Hitler for his stance against the Jews and the Anglo-American Empire. Early in 1933, the Watchtower office in Berlin, they were already over there in Germany. In fact, we're going to see that he had vacation homes over there and also other places. Uh, but their Watchtower was closed, their, their office there in Berlin, the Jehovah's Witnesses' office was closed and uh, was banned in many German states. So in an attempt to appease Hitler, Rutherford instigated what he called the Declaration of Facts. And you can get a copy of this, right? And he sent the letter to, a letter also on top of that to Hitler discussing the watchpowers and, I quote, support of the Nazi regime. Russell found it, the, found, the, uh, the original guy, Russell, Charles Taze Russell, okay, he was sympathetic to the Jews, Okay, because of Bible prophecy. And that was, that's a good thing. Okay, you got a ton of other things wrong. Please don't understand me. I'm not drawing any sympathy their way. And it ain't just because, well, again, this Rutherford guy messed it up. No, they were already messed up. But Russell was not anti-Semitic, but Rutherford was. Okay, uh, he, quote, had a bigoted anti-Semitic stance. And I quote, this is from Rutherford. Be it known once and for all, 
uh, uh, that those profiteering, conscienceless, selfish men who call themselves Jews, this is Rutherford, and who control the greater portion of finances of the world and the business of the world will never be the rulers in this new earth. God would not risk selfish men with such an important position. Well, you might want to read the Bible. Because when Jesus comes back at the end of the seven-year tribulation and sets up the millennial kingdom, he's going straight to Jerusalem. He's setting up the capital there on the world. Okay, we're going to be there, praise God, the church, right, coming back with him. We left at the rapture prior to the seven-year tribulation. We come back with him at the second coming at the end of the seven-year tribulation. We get to be there, but guess who's also there? Hello, the Jewish people, okay? But anyway, he was anti-Semitic. And then he even said this, listen, about the Jews being allowed to go back in the, the territory. He said, in 1917, the Balfour Declaration, sponsored by the heathen governments of Satan's organization, came forth, recognized the Jews, and bestowed upon them great favors. The Jews have received more attention at their hands than they really deserve. This is Rutherford, right? All right? So then you're going, well, then, then what's his connection with Hitler? Well, he thought what Hitler was doing with the Jewish people was awesome. And I quote, in June of 1933, Adolf Hitler again seized the Watchtower Society's property, banned the activities. But in an effort to overturn the ban, Rutherford sent this document, a letter, and a document called uh, a, letter, a declaration, okay, and, uh, and then uh, he, which he praises Hitler for his anti-Anglo-American campaign and his stance against the Jews. Now, I'm going to give you just a little piece of a portion of the English translation to his letter to Adolf Hitler. He said, quote, referring to the purely religious and unpolitical goals and efforts of Jehovah's Witnesses, it can be said that these are in full agreement with the and identical goals of the national government of the German Reich. That's what he said to Adolf Hitler. So what's he saying? We Jehovah's Witnesses have the same goals as you. So that's why you shouldn't ban us. Why are you doing this? That's his letter. Now, in the Declaration of Facts, okay, uh, document, okay, which he distributed in letter format, okay, it outlined the Watchtower support of the German government's uh, uh, stance against the Jews, and the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, supported that. And, uh, in fact, he went there with uh, Knorr, who was the the second uh, president there, uh, or the third president, excuse me, of the Watchtower Society. So they go over there to Berlin, Okay, and they have this convention hall, and I quote, the convention hall was decked with swastikas, and the program was open, and a song that had the same melody as the German national anthem was sung. So they're over there doing all this stuff, right? And I'll tell you this when they come knock at the door, and let me give you a quote from that Declaration of Facts document, right? And again, he's doing this because he's trying to appease Hitler and uh, get him to lift the ban. And I quote, this is Rutherford. The greatest and most oppressive empire on earth is the Anglo-American Empire. By that, it is meant the British Empire of which the United States of America forms a part. It has been the commercial Jews of the British American Empire that have built up and carried on big business as a means of exploiting and oppressing the peoples of many nations. Instead of being against the principles advocated by the government of Germany, we stand squarely for such principles." And then he was drawing sympathy to them. He said, quote, let us remind the government and the people of Germany that it was the League of Nations that laid upon the shoulders of the German people the great, unjust, and unbearable burdens. This is just a piece of that declaration uh, document, okay? But he said, oh, see, you got people, you don't, don't be talking smack about the Germans. They just had to do this. But they were in support of their treatment of the Jewish people. Now, how many guys would say you've never, ever once heard that 
when they come knocking at your door. I haven't ever seen that, as far as I know, in the literature they always try to cram at you from the Watchtower Society. Why, why are you leaving that one out for? Right? So the guy's supposed to be a judge, but he's not really a judge. Right? And you still propagate that today. Well, what else are you lying about? Right? And then this guy, was a, uh, his whole family was incarcerated and, and con artists. He went to court several times for his behavior right, himself. Right? And then you got this hostile takeover. And then you're chumming up with Hitler, thinking he's a great guy, slamming on the U.S. You go to prison here in the U.S. What kind of guy is this? Right? And we can get started. And we're just the tip of the iceberg. Here's some more of his character. Uh, Rutherford also encouraged and directed the smuggling of alcohol into his Brooklyn headquarters during the Prohibition era. He turned a blind eye to homosexual activities, which only partly declined during the tenure of his successor, Nathan Noor, the third guy, and he even noted that a brothel was run for the headquarters uh, Bethelite men during his time of control. Sounds like the power went to his head, right? Okay, but they don't tell you that. But he was, and so now that's just kind of, I want to give you background on his character, kind of like we did with Joseph Smith. What's this guy involved in? Come on. Right? you got to understand the root. So that's this guy's character. Now I want to get into more proof of this guy did a hostile takeover. And I'll say it again. This is the third time. I'm not drawing sympathy to Jehovah's Witnesses. I don't want anybody to say, oh, it's obviously apparent that they started out great. If only this Rutherford guy would not have steered him. No, they were already messed up horribly bad, horribly messed up. And they still retain a lot of Russell's false teaching. But this guy just made it worse. Okay. But listen to this. He joined the Jehovah's Witnesses and was baptized in 1906, and then he was appointed as legal counsel for the Watchtower Society in 1907. Boy, did you hire a good one. <laughs> wow. Right? You're not even a judge, right? Prior to his election as president in 1917, after the death of Russell in 1916, his early presidency marked uh, by a dispute with the Society's Board of Directors in which four of its seven members accused him. Right off the you just get in. They accused him of autocratic behavior and sought to reduce his powers. So they saw, oops, boy, did we make a big mistake. This guy's trying to do what? Take this whole thing over. That's exactly what he did, right? And so they tried to limit his powers. Well, that's when the war began. Uh, the, the resulting thing is they, they divided. This is when they went into their first big giant split. One-seventh of Jehovah's Witnesses uh, split, 1919, and thousands more by 1931. So basically, now they're starting to go down tubes. This guy goes in, and basically, power-hungry guy, right? You saw his character guy, okay? Even the false teachers in the Jehovah's Witnesses realize, oh, no, they tried to put a limit on him, and basically, it blows up. They go into a big major split. Say, well, they're going to be done with. You're not going to have to deal with them. Mm. Listen to what this guy did. Here's where you get even more of their legalism. Why are they so adamant on knocking on doors? Why are they, I mean, they're just, they got to keep records. It came from this guy because they're going down the tubes and he instituted this to keep their numbers up, right? Listen to this. Rutherford introduced many organizational and doctrinal changes that helped shape the current beliefs and practices of the Jehovah's Witnesses. He imposed a centralized administrative structure on the worldwide Jehovah's Witnesses movement, uh, which later he called a theocracy. These guys... Uh, you cannot even think on your own. Everything is monitored, even the churches, right? They have total control. He set this system up. Membership plunged and continued uh, to plunge until he, quote, compelled those who remained, who didn't split off from him, to recruit extensively door to door. In fact, you didn't just, oh, I really suggest you do this. You had to do this. 
although he didn't. We'll get to that in a little bit. Okay. Uh, and you even had to provide regular reports of this activity. So this is a lot of big things. This is, this is basically what saved them from going down into oblivion. This guy said, you have to do this, and we want those reports. And it got intertwined into their legalistic system. He established uh, 1914 of the date of Christ's invisible return. That was different from Russell. And again, part of his behavior with doing this, tweaking the doctrine and stuff, is why a lot of them uh, uh, split. Okay, it wasn't the only reason, but a lot of that. Okay, now the other guy was wrong too anyway. Right? And this guy's wrong too. Anytime you set a date, everybody's going to be wrong. Okay, but that's part of the reason. He also asserted that Christ died on a tree rather than a cross. That's a big stickler with him today. Came from this guy, Mr. Rutherford. We'll get into that eventually, I'm sure, in our study later. He condemned the observance of traditional celebrations such as Christmas and birthdays, the saluting of national flags, the singing of national anthems. Well, you don't have a problem singing the German national anthem and chumming up with Hitler. That's kind of weird. You know what they call that in the South, Tom? Hypocrite is what's going on there. Let's move on. I'm sure it was the same in Missouri, too. Let's move on. Uh, he introduced the name Jehovah's Witnesses in 1931. Why? Because he's, he's, the, he's the guy, right? They were, they were Bible Association students or whatever, but, but they were really going around with the verbiage, Russellites. Well, you can't have that because he's the man, right? So he changed it to Jehovah's Witnesses in 1931 and introduced the term Kingdom Hall for their so-called houses of worship in 1935. He wrote 21 books and uh, was credited by the society uh, with the distribution of almost 400 million books and booklets. Uh, and um, despite the decreases when they went through that split, overall membership increased more than six-fold by the end of his 20 years, 25 years as the president. Why? Because what did he do? Introduce legalism. you got to get out there and knock on doors and knock on doors and repeat and that, and I want it cataloged and I want it written down. And what? what a horrible system. All because this guy caused this split. It was already messed up anyway, right? And then in order to stave off oblivion, you introduce that, right? Notice there's no love. It's not because of our compassion for others to know Christ, right? Or to escape wrath and hell, which is another issue with them, okay? It's you better do it, you better do it. Now, and I want a record of it, right? That's legalism, okay? Now, his book, The Finished Mystery, right? When you even finish that one up, even that thing, right? Before he got in trouble with the, the United States government, Right, it was a bunch of uh, a chicanery uh, as well. He proceeded with that book uh, without uh, the knowledge of the full board of directors of the editorial committee. Okay, they're supposed to be working with these other people, so he's 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 just going on his own, doing his own thing. Right, and not only that, uh, it was released by Rutherford the day he announced the appointment of four replacement directors. You guys are gone. Here's four new guys. Here's a new book. I'm telling you, everything you look at this guy, these are the words that keep coming to me, hostile takeover, okay? It was already messed up, but he just made it worse. The book, uh, which was misleading, labeled as the uh, posthumous seventh volume of uh, Charles Taze Russell's uh, seventh volume, The Studies and Scriptures, it was actually denounced by Rutherford's opponents because he wanted to write like right on the tail saying, hey, we're just kind of, I kicked it along a little bit and it's really from, no, no. They said, no, you can't do that. Well, he crammed it in there anyway. And uh, it became a bestseller anyway, translated in six languages and serialized by the Watchtower Society, which is the publishing arm. So that's how it got out there. Now, in L.A., he gave a talk that was entitled originally, The World Has Ended. Millions now living may never die. 
right? Well, that's kind of long. So we shortened it to millions now living will never die. Now, believe it or not, that became a big popular sermon, if you will, rallying cry when he's out there preaching and propagating the false teaching. That was just a really uh, big deal, okay? Then at the same time, he announced the publication of a new magazine, right? Again, this guy's taking over, if, if you will, almost trying to, as, as much as he can, erase the past of Mr. Russell there, right? And just wipe that out. He announces the publication of a new magazine called The Golden Age. Well, that was the original name. You know what it's called today? Awake! Well, I had an exclamation point, so I had to do that. Okay, so and now that you're awake, we'll continue on with that. Hey, you got to use it when you can, man. So it's, uh, that's what it's called today. They're awake magazine, okay? And now listen to this. I told you I was going to get to that. Remember they originally started? Their magazine was like 6,000 copies. Listen to this. And this is from uh, Wikipedia. So this is public knowledge, right? Awake is an illustrated religious magazine published every second month by the Jehovah's Witnesses via the Watchtower Society. That's their publishing arm, right? Obviously. And it's distributed by Jehovah's Witnesses in their door-to-door magazine. So this is the literature that they try to give you. This is Awake magazine, right? Listen to this. Awake is the second most widely distributed magazine in the whole world. Can you believe that? That blew me away. Well, blew me away was the second one because once you say it's the second largest, inquiry minds want to know what is the first. first. You did it. Prophet John has spoken three times in two studies. That's right. Well, guess what the number one is? It's the public edition of the Watchtower. That's the number one magazine in the whole world listen with a total worldwide circulation of over 60 million copies in 117 language per issue can you believe that they have the first and second most popular distributed magazines on the planet okay but where would that come from well what was remember understand the history what did the last guy do what was he a genius of he had lots of cash he became an instant millionaire when he sold the businesses and he used that cash to what Media used it to propagate, man. He jumped on the bandwagon. This guy just continued on because they had developed this big, giant uh, publishing arm. The stated purpose of the magazine has changed over time. Oops. Why? Because of their false teaching and their false date setting, right? Each issue of the magazine included a mission statement originally, which stated, this magazine builds confidence in the creator's promise of a peaceful and secure new order before the generation that saw 1914 passes away. But see, that generation time period is kind of like uh, came and went. So they don't print that anymore. Now here's what it says. This magazine builds confidence in the creator's promise of a peaceful and secure new world that is about to replace the present wicked lawless system of things. <laughs> Taking out the date. Why? Because you got it wrong again. Right? Again, you got it wrong with the date setting. So again, but again, see, you, you wipe it out, you get rid of it, encourage people to get rid of all the old copies. And so, but guess what? Former Jehovah's Witnesses still have them around. And they surface and say, no, no, this is what you really said. This is what you really taught. No, you really said this. And you can't get away with that that easy. The magazine, of course, is distributed by Jehovah's Witnesses and their house-to-house ministry. They're also distributed uh, by people in public places. They're given to acquaintances and professionals. How many times do you see this? Especially at the dentist office. Have you noticed that? I don't know what's going on. It always seems that they're always there in the dentist office. And they're left as reading material in places such as bus terminals and laundromats, etc. Okay. Then he publishes a book based on that really popular sermon, Millions uh, Now Living Will Never Die. He published a hardcover book called The Harp of God. Uh, and then 
he uh, followed by 19 other hardcover books, and then, quote, he gained full control over what doctrines would be taught in the Watchtower Society, overruling the five-man editorial committee. So this guy got full control. What's that sound like? Hostile takeover. He took over everything. You couldn't sneeze. You couldn't believe. You couldn't have any going. This guy became the head cheese over everything, micromanaged it all. The Watchtower Society also then ceased printing Russell's studies in the scriptures. So now another step in trying to get rid of the previous guy. It was already messed up, still messed up to this day. This guy comes in and just makes it even worse. Now, then the editorial committee was dissolved, got rid of him. So now you're just left with, guess who? Mr. Rutherford, and after which Rutherford wrote every leading article in the Watchtower until his death. This guy was at the top, had full control. All right. Now, the Watchtower Society observed that the demise of the editorial committee, because they're thinking, well, these are supposed to be the spiritual people. These are the ones who are getting the light from Jehovah, who is disseminating all this information. How could you say they're gone? How could we get rid of them? Well, listen to their excuse. When, when he got rid of the editorial committee, quote, the Lord himself was running the organization now. Uh, no, Judge Rutherford, the con artist, was. With all due respect, I say that. Okay, excuse me, but see, you spiritualize it, don't you? It's the Lord. Okay, and we'll see other examples of that shortly. Rutherford expanded the Watchtower message. He started a 15-minute radio broadcast, which eventually went into 480 different stations. Okay, again, they had a good thing going as far as dissemination. He just kept it going. Uh, it broadcast through North America, Australia, and France. He began to abolish the system of, listen to this, now this, he's, that's controlling the organization. Now he goes into the individual kingdom hall, and he's going to micromanage that. Listen to this. He began to abolish the system of electing elders by congregational voting, and then uh, impressed on the elders in the kingdom hall that they need to obey the society's regular, well, who's the society now? Who's in charge of the society? Rutherford, right? He, they needed to obey the society's regulations, instructions, and directions without complaint. So now you're just a robot. You're just a puppet, right, from this guy. And that's the individual, down to the individual this guy had control. He also claimed that after abolishing uh, the elective elders, right, because apparently that statement uh, uh, that the Lord himself was running the society now, it wasn't good enough. So you know what he did? He actually ripped out a verse in the Bible and made it up. Listen to this. He said it was a fulfillment of uh, getting rid of that committee was the fulfillment of prophecy of the 2300 days of Daniel chapter 8 and that God's sanctuary mentioned there, which is really the Watchtower Society supposedly, uh, was therefore cleansed. What? <laughs> okay, whatever. So he just made it up. Ripped a verse out of, and since they're big on prophecy, right? He said, well, this is a film and prophecy. I had to do this. I had to get rid of these guys because it's a cleansing of the temple. Are you, whatever. So, and people fell for it. So they, uh, those who opposed them, because not everybody's going to buy into this, obviously, and they didn't, but those who opposed or abandoned Rutherford uh, to form new groups, because a bunch of splinter groups, were increasingly described as the, quote, evil servant class in the watchtower. So anybody who dared disagree, anybody who complained, anybody who didn't buy in this stuff, he used the same propaganda tool to say those people evil. In fact, it leads to a practice, still a practice today, which we'll probably have a whole study on, that they do, and it's called disfellowshipping. Okay? You are toast, you are out. And I've still got good friends to this day who've gotten saved out of Jehovah's Witnesses, and still to this day, family, friends, 
children, grandchildren, nobody is allowed to say hi, boo, nothing. Even when somebody dies, there is no contact, right? Now, where do you think that came from? Mr. Apparently uh, Insecurity. <laughs> you know, he just like takes over the whole thing. You disagree, man. You're what? what? You're an evil servant class. We're going to disfellowship you. Nobody can ever talk to you. What is, folks, you know what that is? All in big words. That's a cold. <laughs> Give me a break. All right. Now, uh, also, listen to this. Zone servants, also known as circuit overseers, were appointed to supervise the congregations. Just in case those elders who were said, you got to do everything we say without complaint, you got people out there monitoring you. What? And then in my notes, what is this? The Nazi regime? <laughs> Doesn't it sound like it? Chumming up with Hitler and what you institute in the, in the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's crazy. In the Watchtower article, Rutherford declared the need for congregations to, quote, get in line with this change of structure. Right? And if you didn't, you're an evil servant, right? All right, then listen to this. Okay, let's go back to some of his character. Uh, in books and magazine articles, uh, he began to expose his views on the, quote, proper place of women. Ooh, they probably don't say this uh, coming uh, at the door either. He claimed, listen, the custom of men tipping their hats to women or standing when a woman is approached was a scheme of the devil to turn men from God and indicated an effeminate strength in men who practiced the custom. What? Oh, that's nothing. Listen to this. And he said that Mother's Day was similarly described as part of a plan to turn people away from God. Yeah, he was popular with the ladies, you think? Probably not. Okay. Uh, but anyway, so it goes on that. Then in 1938, he uh, uh, urged adherence to delay marriage and childbearing until Armageddon. Still going on today. You know what? One is a big thing that's frowned on, right? Marriage certainly, but also especially childbearing. A guy I worked with was his son, and it broke his heart. He wanted some grandkids. His son and uh, daughter-in-law got snookered by Jehovah's Witnesses, and uh, they refused to have kids. How can we bring kids into this world? Armageddon's right around the corner. Came from this guy. Came from this sexist guy. Dare I say it? Not only anti-Semite, but anti-woman guy. It's just crazy, right? But they still hold on that today. Children are bad. Don't have kids because they aren't Wow, right? And again, those who uh, did get married, uh, that they were looked upon as weak in the faith, right? Uh, then in 1941, in a convention in uh, Missouri, he quoted and described women as, quote, a rag and a bone and a hank of hair. <laughs> Dude, you would go to jail today. Right, somebody sue you, you'd be back in court, right? Like you used to be in your past, right? A rag and a bone and a hank of hair. Dude, you got to be kisses in print, man. Now, former Jehovah's Witnesses claim that there was uh, also, remember he said, get out there, we're gonna, you got to get knocking on those doors, we're going to you know, get out there, and I want to report, and blah, blah, blah. And I quote, former Jehovah's Witnesses claim there was no evidence that Rutherford engaged in door-to-door despite his assertion that it was a requirement and a sacred duty of all witnesses. Uh, what, what, what's that word again, uh, uh, prophet? Hypocrite, that's right, four times in two studies. Authors also claim that Rutherford basically was to Russell, the first guy, what Brigham Young was to Joseph Smith. Now that is a good parallel. 
right? Joseph Smith, he didn't have it right, and Brigham Young messed it up. No, it was already messed up, really bad messed up. And Brigham Young just made it even worse. Same analogy going here. Charles Taze Russell, totally messed up, bad, false teaching all the way around. Rutherford comes in with a hostile takeover, makes it even worse. And it's going to get even worse in a little bit because we haven't even got to them. Then they're going to, after this guy, latch on to the Bible and create a new Bible. So it's going to get even worse. Even post this guy. We'll get into that later. right? But let's continue on. Rutherford married. Well, wait a second. You married. What are you doing? Weak in the faith? Weak in the faith? Right? He married this lady, uh, Mary Malcolm Fetzer in Missouri. Their only child was a kid named Malcolm. And the couple separated after Joseph became president of the Watchtower Society. Well, maybe you called her a rag and a bone and a hank of hair. <laughs> Can you believe this? It's crazy. Another author, though, there's an author who tried to sympathize with this guy. Listen, I've got to expose this. He, he describes so-called Judge Rutherford, who was not a judge, as a charitable and generous, and says his sympathy for the poor and the oppressed was, was exceeded only by his hatred for the rich and the oppressors. Are you kidding me? Watch what this guy did. And not only watch what he did, what he did in the height of the depression. Oh, you really care about poor people and you can't stand those rich oppressors? He built, he built a giant palatial mansion in San Diego called Beth Sarim, okay, which means house, bed, house of princes, right? Now, you say, well, how could he do that, especially during the depression and stuff? That's crazy, right? Because once again, what did he do? He spiritualized it. And he felt that, and I quote, they needed to build a 10-bedroom mansion in San Diego, California, okay, because any day now, any day, the Old Testament patriarchs and prophets such as Abraham, Moses, David, Isaiah, and Samuel were going to show up, and they needed a place. And they bought it, literally, pun intended. <laughs> they bought it. It was maintained by the Watchtower Society, and it's supposed to be, even on the deed, was supposed to be for these guys. Abraham, Moses, and David, when they come back, any day now, they're coming back. But guess who got to stay there? Guess who stayed there a lot? Guess who had parties there? Guess who got drunk there? Yeah, Mr. So-called Judge, Judge Rutherford. In 1918, Watchtower Publications began predicting under the direction of Rutherford, this year after he got elected, that the Old Testament patriarchs, or princes, hence Beth Serene, House of Princes, right, would be resurrected back to earthly life in 1925. And it was taught that these princes would become the earth's new leaders, and their resurrection would be, would be a prelude to a new earthly society and the abolition of death. Now, it had previously been taught that these individuals were to be raised shortly after 1914. Guess what happened? Mm, didn't happen. So they changed the date to 1925. Mm, didn't happen, right? So he went ahead and still built the mansion in 1929, right? Just continuing, that's what they still do today. They, and just like, just like people who set dates today, they just keep it going. New theory, new light, new whatever you want to call it. Same baloney, right? Now, despite the failure of these predictions, 1914, 1925, Rutherford continued to say, any day now, they're coming. I'm telling you, got to crack, crack, crack the whip, get this mansion built. <laughs> right? And anyway, so he also de decided to switch gears because it went from them being headquartered in Jerusalem, but for some reason... Their new headquarters was San Diego. <laughs> it is. I think it's the actual, the most consistent, pleasant climate anywhere uh, in the world is San Diego in that area there, if I have my stats right. Now, the deed for Beth Serene, uh, written by guess who? 
Rutherford, right, said that the property was to be held perpetually in trust for the Old Testament princes and was to be surrendered to them once they arrived. <coughs> it was located in Kensington Heights, a section of San Diego, over an area about 100 acres, landscaped, listen, landscaped with olive, date, and palm trees. Why? So that the princes would feel at home. You know, because they're originally from the east and yeah, whatever. The 5,000 square feet residence designed uh, by San Diego architect Richard Riqua is a 10-bedroom Spanish-style mansion with a two-car garage. Now, again, this is in the height of the Depression, 1929, right? In that area, it's two-car two -car garage. Well, he's probably just got a horse and buggy because he cares about the poor. No, Tom, you know what he has? He has not one, but two 16-cylinder Fisher Fleetwood Cadillac Coupes. Oh, and you're so sympathetic for the poor, and you can't stand those rich and oppressing the people, and are you kidding me? Right? So this is what that guy is doing there. Now, he also had full-time servants there, and again, this was during the Great Depression. He owns two luxury Cadillacs on top of all this going on, and he was well known for his excessive use of alcohol, even though he printed articles at it about, against it uh, you know, in the Watchtower Society. What's that, Prophet John, they call that Missouri? Hypocrite, that's right, three times in a row. Walter uh, Salter, the society's Jehovah's Witnesses' former branch manager in Canada, okay, wrote a public letter to Rutherford in 1937, the month he was expelled from the group. Hmm, I wonder why they expelled him. Because he exposed that Rutherford was living a, quote, luxurious and expensive life, not just in San Diego at this mansion for the wit, uh, princes, <laughs> but also had another one in Brooklyn, Staten Island, and in Germany. Oh, in case you want to go over there and chum up with Hitler or something, apparently. And he alleged that on more than one occasion, he, Mr. Walter Salter, had purchased for Rutherford cases of whiskey, brandy, beer, and other liquors, and this was a guy who liked to go from drink to drink. It was a sauce all day long. From this guy from Canada. And we said, well, why is it important from Canada? Because during the Prohibition, if you notice that, where did liquor keep coming in? Came from Canada. So this was a, a Jehovah's Witness guy in Canada saying, this guy had me bring this stuff over the line. Right? And then, of course, hey, sorry, bye. You're not part of the organization. You're just fellowship. Now, that's not the only property. They had a second property most people don't know about. It's called Beth Sean, and I believe uh, that means rest. So it's a house of rest. So it wasn't apparently good enough to have a house for the princes, but you need a house of rest too. Right, And this was the property adjacent to Beth Serim there. It was roughly 75 acres of canyon and mesa land adjoining uh, Beth Serim. Uh, it was separated, though, by a half-mile width of a canyon. So a big old giant canyon between the two. Here's the one property here. Here's the one on the other side of the canyon. Now, it appears that Beth Sean had some purposes, and one of those was to, quote, provide protection during Armageddon. And word spread that a bomb shelter was built at Beth Sean. Right? So... In case you need her. Was it a bomb shelter or was it in case the police came and got you? I don't know. It was my theory. I don't know. guess we don't know because he died. Uh, from the age of 70, Rutherford went uh, several medical treatments for uh, colon cancer. He died at Beth Serim. You know, just, he's just keeping it warm for the princess. Yeah, he died there on January 8th, 1942 at the age of 72. In fact, he wished to be buried there. Or Beth Sean, one of the two. And actually, uh, on Rutherford's death, Noor, which is the third president... And the Watchtower Society went to court in an attempt to have him buried there, right? But I don't think it was legal because it's not considered a cemetery, so there's a big legal battle going on. So uh, this was to do with uh, also, 
uh, why he said, I have got to be buried here. But what are you saying? I thought you said it was for the princess. But he, he, he said, I've got to be buried there because of his belief in the return of the king of the east to Beth Serim, and he needed to face the rising sun upon that return. What a schnooker. You, are you serious? You're just making this up as you go, right? You got to be buried there. It's supposed to be for these guys, but you live there, right? It's your party pad, right? And, uh, and then you buy this other piece of property for some sort of who knows what kind of a shelter, right? And then you want to be buried there even though legally you can't because it's not zoned as that uh, in, in the, the deals. And so you fight it in court, but then you try to spiritualize it and say, no, it's because I've got to be facing this when the king comes back. That's crazy. Okay. Now, this is what's interesting. Mr. Uh, Mr. Sneaky. It's speculated. Now, they lost the case. He's not supposed to be buried there. He's not zoned for that. But uh, he was secretly, there's a rumor that he was secretly buried at Beth Sarim. <gasps> this guy would never do this. His character is... <laughs> Watch this. In May 1942, issue of the Time Magazine a noted Rutherford's burial was supposed to be at Rossville, New York on Staten Island at a private burial plot for the Watchtower uh, branch volunteers uh, on this Woodrow Road. Okay, now, but in 2002, a caretaker at the uh, adjoining uh, graveyard to this one, inquired about the Watchtower's graveyard by noting, quote, I couldn't tell you who's buried on it because it has absolutely no markers or headstones. So in their so-called cemetery in that area that's supposed to have Rutherford and who knows who else, there's nothing there. It's just a piece of property. Oh, you may own it. So a lot of people say, that's why they, even though they lost the case, they did it illegally. They buried him at that best. Uh, so after Rutherford's death, the Watchtower Society uh, maintained Beth Serene for a few years before selling the property in 1948. The belief that the princes would be resurrected before Armageddon was abandoned in 1950, which means you got it wrong. What else you got wrong? Again, correct. Right? In 1954, he was, uh, uh, was asked at a trial in Scotland. We'll t- probably talk about what that trial was about. Later, uh, Frederick William Franz, okay, the vice president of the Watchtower Society, he was a part in the New World Translation. He explained, well, why did you guys sell it? Quote, because it was there. And the prophets had not yet come back to occupy it yet, to make use of it. And the society had no use for it at the time. It was uh, in charge of a caretaker, and it was causing an expense. And, listen, our understanding of the scriptures opened up more and more concerning the princes, which will include these prophets. And so this property was sold as uh, serving no present purpose. In other words, guess what? You're making it up again as you go. You can't admit that you were wrong. You're following a false teacher. So you said, well, we got new light. And now we've got greater knowledge about these princes. No, 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 they're, gonna, they're not going to land in San Diego. It's, so let's just get rid of the property. You liars. It's crazy. The house is now privately owned and has been designated a historical landmark by the city of San Diego. But let's take a look as we close at this Beth Serim with Mr. So-called Judge Rutherford. Watch this. Very nice place. Through hard-fisted inside political manipulation, Joseph Franklin Rutherford, a Missouri lawyer who had given himself the title of judge, became the second president of the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society in 1917. In 1918, Judge Rutherford's lecture, entitled Millions Now Living Will Never Die, was the beginning of a worldwide recruiting effort called the Millions Campaign. 
Not too surprisingly, it proclaimed the coming destruction of the existing world. It would happen soon, in 1925. Based on the promises set forth in the divine word, we must reach the positive and indisputable conclusion that millions now living will never die. In 1920, the Millions Book was published. In it, Rutherford claimed the Bible proved that in 1925, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and other faithful men of old were to be resurrected, to rule henceforth as princes on the new Paradise Earth. Fully convinced that Rutherford's prophecy was true, many witnesses sold their homes and businesses and took to the road. Living in cars and trucks like itinerant peddlers, they spread the warning. As 1925 drew closer, some farmers even refused to plant crops because they believed the end was at hand. Finally, 1925 came. And, as in 1914, nothing happened. Once again, the Watchtower Society's prophecy had proven false. As Russell had done, Rutherford doggedly held to the story that the end was just around the corner. In 1929, the judge had this palatial mansion constructed. It was deeded to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, so they and other ancient worthies would have a place to live when they were resurrected. Located in an exclusive district of San Diego, it was given the name Beth Sarim, Hebrew for House of the Princes. The world entered the Great Depression, but Rutherford lived like a millionaire, spending the winter months at Beth Sarim, summering in Europe. As Americans suffered through poverty and deprivation, Rutherford enjoyed the use of two 16-cylinder Cadillacs. On the radio and in print, he continually stressed that the end of the world was just months away. The end finally came, but only for Rutherford. In 1942, he died at Beth Serene, the house he had built as a luxurious testimony to God's name. In retrospect, Perhaps the only testimony this lovely mansion ever gave was to the cash value of false prophecy. In 1948, the society quietly sold the property, covering up an embarrassing chapter in its history. Today, most modern Jehovah's Witnesses are unaware that Beth Sarim ever existed. Hmm. Well, when they come knock at the door, you might want to share that. In fact, we're going to see, again, this is a common practice, unfortunately, of the occults is when they get caught in a lie, and we just talk to them and they get caught, they'll change their so-called documents, they'll go back, and they'll, uh, and Jehovah's Witnesses are masters of this, and they will go back and they will order all the congregations, get rid of the old material, supplant it with the new, right? And they just try to swap out and cover their tracks. That's why, even though this is a historical, easily documented thing that I, even I could find, okay, these guys are never taught this. Most of these people, most cults don't even know the history of their leaders and their organization because they are told never to investigate. In fact, you should never talk to somebody. In fact, if you're at somebody's door and they start asking you these weird questions and talking bad about the organization, they're an apostate. 
And you should not receive any apostate material or listen to an apostate. You just listen to us. That's a cult. And that's what these guys are. Lord willing, next time we're going to get into a little bit of the third president. We're going to get into that vice president guy, Mr. Franz, because we're going to get into the, uh, basically their beliefs and how they uh, uh, perverted uh, the Bible. And there, it's not even a translation. It's a perversion. They literally hacked and spliced it and chopped it and still to this day are doing it uh, to, to cater their false teachings. Also, we're going to probably take a little bit of time and deal with some interesting symbolism going on. You know one thing that you'll find with a lot of symbolism with the founders and, and the icons of Jehovah's Witnesses, just like with Mormons? Freemasonry. Interesting. Bleeds into that as well. We'll probably get into that a little bit uh, next time. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness, or the wrong things that we have done, have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin, or unholiness, uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy, we're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay? Well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the heart, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. 
How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God.
God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.